on the 1st of March every year, they would send my sister with a daffodil, St. David's Day, and they'd send myself with a leek. So off I went to school and put, uh, I guess at primary school, proudly put a leek on the end of my table um, for every teacher uh, and child to come past uh, and ask, what on earth is that? What is that? Uh, And I think in my first few years, I was quite happy and proud to say, oh, it's because I'm Welsh, it's St. David's Day. But as time went by and my parents sent me to school with a leek on the 1st of March every year, the leek didn't make an appearance, stayed in the bag Uh, and then Later on, uh, it ended up in the neighbour's hedge um, every year. Deeply ashamed of my heritage, perhaps, just where I was born, where my parents were delighted. It's a silly story. It's one that's impressed in my mind because of how I felt when my mates went, what on earth is that, Ian? What are you doing? And I had to tell them something about something that I I didn't even like, I didn't agree with. It's a silly story, but it gets us into this passage here when we see Peter deeply ashamed of the Lord Jesus. And here's why this is so shocking for us. Because two weeks ago, we were in Mark chapter 8, where Jesus has asked the disciples, who do people say I am? And you remember what they said? Some say Elijah, some say Moses, some say one of the prophets. And then he asked the disciples, what about you? And Peter said, I know, I've got the answer. You are the Messiah. You're the one sent by God. You're the anointed one. You're the king. And then do you remember, as Jesus went on to talk about his role, to talk about why he had come? Well, I must suffer many things. I must die. And Peter said, no, 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 no. Not on my watch. No chance, Jesus. That is not happening. And Jesus said, whoa, whoa, you might have claimed who I am, but you don't understand what I've come to do. And last week we talked in Mark 8 about what that looks like to follow the Lord Jesus, to deny self, to take up cross and to follow him. Now we're zooming, we're missing a load of chapters out and we're moving to Mark chapter 14. And as Johnny's just read for us, There's a really disturbing account of Peter. Good old Peter. Jesus is already coming to Jerusalem. People were thrilled. Hosanna, Hosanna. Here comes the son of David as the palm branches went down uh, on the ground to welcome him in. We've had the upper room with the disciples. When we spend communion here at Town Church, uh, we remember what Jesus said to them, my, br- my body broken for you, this is the bread, and my blood shed for you is the wine. We've done that. We had the anguish in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus prays. We've had the arrest, and now the trial of Jesus is going on. And Johnny read for us this account of Peter. Peter in the courtyard. We're going to look at four cries today. Here's the first one. It's Peter's cry. It's a cry of faithlessness and denial. 
verse 71, he began to call down curses and he swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Oh, Peter. Dear Peter, Peter, what have you done? How could you do such a thing, Peter? After what you've heard, after what you've seen, after what you've been through with Jesus, you were there. You saw it happen, the feeding of the 5,000. Peter, you were in the boat where Jesus stood on the stern and simply in a voice, quiet, be still. And the raging storm was stopped. Peter, you were there when they lowered the man through the roof and he said, your sins are forgiven. Now, take up your mat, go home to prove that I am God and to prove your greatest need is forgiveness of sins. Peter, you were there. You were there in the room. What have you done? And let's not forget that Peter is Mark's primary source in writing this gospel. So Peter is saying to Mark, who's written this, Mark, this is exactly how it was. It's a pretty big deal. This is exactly how it was, Mark. And as Peter is denying Jesus three times, it's not just shame about a leak on the end of a table, it's shame about a man who he's given his allegiance to. And as Peter's doing that, look at the contrast of Jesus. Let me read from verses 53 of Mark 14. They took Jesus to the high priest and all the chief priests, the elders and the teachers of the law came together and Peter followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire and the chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death but they could not find any. Many testified falsely against him but their statements did not agree. Here Jesus is truth amongst falsehood. Even their false testimony about him did not agree. Their false testimony couldn't line up together. Their false testimony couldn't agree. Their stories couldn't match up. Even their false testimony could not agree about Jesus. How could Jesus even reply to such contradictory evidence about him? And yet, what do we see? Jesus is faithful amidst faithlessness. And look at Peter following at a distance. He's already distanced himself from the Lord Jesus. And Peter is cross-examined, just like Jesus is being cross-examined. Peter is having the same, the same trial, but in the courtyard. Ha! Ah, you were seen with this man. You also were with the Nazarene Jesus, she said in verse 67. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about. And when the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, this fellow is one of them. Again, he denied it. He's going through a trial just like Jesus. The contrast of Jesus. The faithful. Look at Peter. Witness the cowardly faithlessness. Sobering contrast. 
earlier, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was praying. And he said, pray with me. And the disciples sleep. Jesus continues to tell the truth and yet lie after lie comes out of Peter's mouth. Jesus follows the way of the cross. They flee. It's only Peter that's in the courtyard. In the film The Passion, next Friday evening as we enjoy watching that together, but hopefully um, we do more than enjoying it. it. It provokes a response in us. As you'll see in The Passion movie, it's a moment when Jesus looks into the eye of Peter and Peter knows exactly what he's done. Now, of course, as we look at Peter, there are individual implications, applications for us in this. Even the great disciple, Peter. Wouldn't just a quick throwaway, leak on the end of the table, a quick throwaway, no, 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 don't don't bother about me, on I go. Denied him. Three times, the great disciple, Peter. What does this look like for us as individuals? Well, isn't there a deep warning here that if the great disciple, Peter, could deny Jesus so emphatically, then so could I. Where, when, how, I don't know. But isn't the warning for us to keep watch over ourselves individually? If you're married, to keep watch over your husband or your wife. If you're stuck into town church, to get friends around you. Fabulous that we've started growth groups uh, where three or four of us are gathered just a couple of times every month, looking at the Bible together, ask each other some tough questions. Great that we continue with small groups in people's homes. It's great that we're joining together in relationships to ask the tough questions. Hopefully to prevent us from doing what Peter does in denying Jesus. Of course, there are lots of individual implications for us. Where could you deny Jesus? What does that look like for you in the workplace? Of course, you can think that through. But let's take a little bit of time of looking together collectively as a church, 12 weeks in Town Church Bista. What could it look like for Town Church Bista to deny Jesus in time? Perhaps there are two areas where the devil could get a foothold. It's one, in the truth. We start to deny him by watering down the gospel. We start teaching what itching ears want to hear, uh, as the Apostle Paul um, talks to Timothy about. Perhaps we speak the truth and then live as we like. I remember at DC Talk, a band when I was growing up, and there was a line in a song, and I think it's fairly famous in other uh, areas of Christianity. And the line went like this, here's the problem. Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and then walk out of the church doors and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world finds unbelievable. Perhaps Town Church Bister is at risk of that in the future. Here we say, yeah, we follow Jesus and then going out of these doors and living how we'd want where then an unbelieving world goes, really? Is that what Christians do? Is that how they behave? Is that what they talk about? So let's be careful with the truth going forward. 
I think we've started well. I get asked all the time, I was at a wedding yesterday, how's it going? We're hearing good things. We're following you on Twitter, we're looking on Facebook, Uh, we're looking at the website, it looks great. What's going on? I think we've started well. I think Peter started pretty well. Let's watch out. And here's the second area. What about unity? When stuff gets in the way. And it perhaps starts with small niggles. Cool. can't believe that we use those coffee cups. But you know, I don't fancy standing next to him when we're singing those songs. He's so out of tune, that boy. You see the way their kids behave. Scandalous. Perhaps it starts with small niggles. But then it gets greater. Talk behind people's backs. We start um, creating cliques. There's backstabbing. Uh, And then it gets stronger and stronger. Uh, And before you know it, unity has gone in the way of us from following Jesus. We deny the Lord Jesus by the way we behave. Now praise God. Thank him. We're in good shape. But I think Peter was in good shape. Jesus, faithful in the midst of abandonment. Let's quickly jump to the passage on the crucifixion. Uh, And what I'd love you to do over this week, and please join us uh, at Good Friday, all the things that are going on. Um, It's going to be a great day. We start uh, at a church in Oxford. Some of us will be going over there. Uh, We'll be having a Good Friday service together at Woodstock Baptist Church. Then in the evening, uh, we'll have nibbles and we'll watch The Passion of the Christ together. Uh, And then Easter Sunday at 6.30, a walk at Stoke Wood. Uh, And then breakfast at Savoy Fair at Garth Park. And then in here at 10 o'clock, so morning service uh, on Easter Sunday. So the Easter weekend uh, will be upon us quickly and lots of good things to enjoy. But please do, as we go into Holy Week, where really we should be talking about the arrival of Jesus into Jerusalem this Sunday, but there's no rule that says you have to. We're going to spend a bit of time on the actual crucifixion narrative. But I'd love you to mull over these words, and especially the three cries that follow. We've had the cry of Peter. Now look at the faithful cries of the Lord Jesus quickly as we go through this and I'm going to go quite quick and it doesn't deserve us this passage of course to go so quickly but all I'm trying to do is tee up for you this week to mull over such wonderful truths and especially the three cries of Jesus. Let me read 33 and 39 to us again uh, and then I'll pull out these three cries and we'll have a little look at each one of them uh, before we finish. Verse 33 of chapter 15, at noon Darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when some of those standing near heard this, they said, listen, he's calling Elijah and someone ran filled with a filled a sponge with wine vinegar put it on a staff and offered it to Jesus to drink now leave him alone let's see if Elijah comes to take him down he said and with a loud cry 
Jesus breathed his last and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. Three cries. Here's the first cry of Jesus, the cry of punishment and abandonment. You see it there in verse 34. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Can you picture the scene? Of course, we've seen a video that helps depict a little bit of what that would look like. Uh, But can you picture it in your own mind's eye? 9 a.m., Jesus hangs on a cross in between two criminals. Insults hurled at him. They say he saved others, they said, but he cannot save himself. Let this Christ, let this King of Israel come down from the cross that we may see and believe. That's what they were asking him to do and Jesus hangs there. A barbaric death, cruel nails, crushed bone and sinew. He's struggling for air as his lungs are crushed underneath the enormous pressure. And then verse 33 in the sixth hour to the ninth hour. It's midday to 3 p.m. It's darkness and quiet. The whole land is dark. Can you imagine that scene? When darkness comes across the land, it's midday. Bright sun. And if the sun's not shining, it's light. And darkness comes over the land. Why darkness? Well, it's a sign that God's judgment is present. Remember the plagues in the Exodus? One of the judgments of God was darkness. This is a sign that God is judging. God's judgment is present. And perhaps if you close your eyes, you can picture the scene even better. Darkness. And Jesus cries out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's a painful cry, of course. Of course, the physical pain. But it's much more than that. It's a suffering of separation between the Father and the Son. This eternal relationship that has always been. And now. The Father is punishing the Son. And here's the cry from Jesus. Father, why are you punishing me? Why are you abandoning me now? Why is Jesus being punished and abandoned by his Father God? The one who has done no wrong is being punished and abandoned by his Father. Why? Jesus is being treated as sin deserves, yet Jesus has not committed any sin. 1 Corinthians 5.21 is so helpful. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Is this fair? What is going on? The Son of God who has had no sin to his name, he's done nothing wrong, is being treated as sin deserves. Can you imagine the angels in heaven? Can you imagine them peering over the balcony of heaven, looking down at the Son of God? What is this travesty? Shouts Michael 
to Gabriel. What is going on? Should we do something about this? Wait for the Father God to move and then we're down. And then we'll save him. Imagine the scene. The angels in heaven. What is going on? The travesty. It's not fair. And you know, here's the closest I get to not fair. Here's the closest that that I get to injustice. Maradona, 1986. What was I? Nine years old. I can remember it now, watching the game with my father. But he's humbled here. I'm so sorry if you don't know the game and if you're too young to remember. There he goes, Maradona, and he punches the ball into the goal. Dad, he's just handballed it. How can the ref allow such a goal? And it will stick in my memory. That's as close as I get to injustice. And of course, we can go to other places. But to prove the point that Jesus, the Son of God, the Holy One, the one who has done no wrong, he is being treated like sin deserves. The angels in heaven cry out, that's not fair. And do you know what God the Father says? It is fair. Even though Jesus has never sinned, it is fair. Why? Because he takes the punishment of sinners. The sins of the world are being lumped on the shoulders of Jesus. And Jesus cries out, Father, why have you forsaken me? The sins of the world are being lumped onto him. It's a cry of punishment and abandonment. (coughs) Verse 37, here's the second cry. Cry of completion. A cry of reconciliation. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last It's three o'clock in the afternoon, darkness for three hours. You imagine the piercing shrieks, then the silence of the moment. And Mark immediately turns his attention to the temple. It's like the camera is on the Lord Jesus and the two criminals either sign him and the people that are watching it and darkness. And it's like the camera zoomed on them and then it retracts and then it pans right back to the temple. What's going on in the temple? Well, the temple curtain is torn in two. It's a beast of a curtain. It's not like our curtains at home. Thicker than the width of a man's hand. My hands are quite small. That's how thick the curtain is. And it's torn from top to bottom, the temple curtain. This is the dividing area where only certain people can go. The high priest once a year allowed into the holy of holies. The curtain in the temple is symbolic of man's separation from God. God can have nothing to do with man. Holy God and sinful man, here's the curtain that stops you from coming close to God. And you see what Mark is doing at the moment when Jesus breathes his last. The camera goes right to the temple curtain. It's torn in two. How? From bottom to top? No. From top to bottom. From God to man. The way is now open. 
There needs be no more separation. A holy God can be with sinful people. How? Well, the sin of sinful people is now being judged on the shoulders of the Lord Jesus. He's taken the punishment that sin deserves, that I deserve. Every sin, every wrongdoing, every injustice that you've done, that I've done, it will be rightfully judged and punished as it deserves. And there's only two places, either on the shoulders of Jesus or on the shoulders of yourself. There's only two places. It's a cry of completion, a cry of reconciliation as Jesus breathed his last. And here's the third cry. It's not of Jesus. It's the fourth cry today. But it's the third cry in this passage from the centurion. You see in verse 37. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The, tur- the, t- the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And in verse 39, and when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. Here's the cry of the centurion. It's a cry of realisation and acceptance. Surely this man was the son of God. It's the first time in Mark's gospel that we get the identity of Jesus completely right. He's the son of God. And it's a Roman centurion who utters such things. He's an important commander in the Roman army. He's in charge of 50, 100 soldiers. He's probably been part of the torture squad. He's probably been part of nailing the hands and the feet of Jesus to the cross. He'd seen everything. But to cry out what he cried was absurd. A Roman thought that crucifixion was dirty, reserved for the worst criminals. Romans despised the Jews. And Romans only called the Roman emperor son of God. Not a poor, humiliated, crucified Jew. Mark is genius in his writing, in his recording. Surely this man was the son of God. It's a cry of realisation. It's him. It's really him. And it's a cry of acceptance. wonder when you made such a cry. Perhaps you've not made such a cry. Perhaps you've frequented Town Church Bista and you're up to speed with, with a little bit of Christianity, with what it means, with, with what it's all about. But perhaps you've never made that cry, a cry of realisation. Jesus is the Son of God and a cry of acceptance. He's my Saviour. I trust him for the forgiveness of my sins. I trust him for going to the cross and dying in my place. Perhaps you've never made that cry. This Easter would be a really great time to make that cry personally. And perhaps you've got friends in the room. You've been a Christian for many years. Perhaps you've got neighbours, friends you play sport with, friends that you do work with, colleagues acquaintances. Easter's a great time for them to 
make a cry of realisation and a cry of acceptance. These words would be great to mull over all the way up to Good Friday and Easter Sunday. The four cries. See the contrast? The cry of Peter, of faithlessness and denial. You see the cry of the Lord Jesus, of punishment and abandonment from the Father. A cry of completion and reconciliation. Now God the Father can endure a relationship and enjoy a relationship with those he has made. And we see the cry of the centurion of realisation and acceptance. What does it look like for you this Easter to afresh, in a new way, realise again who Jesus is, what he's come to do, and accept again, will you stand before God free from sin and accusation to your name, free from the punishment of sin? Surely, surely this man was the Son of God. I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing of such truths together. Father, when we come face to face again with the account of how the Lord Jesus died, we're humbled. Father, would you please help us to see with new eyes, exactly what was going on. Would you help us see the cries of the Lord Jesus, the cry of punishment and abandonment from you for our sake and the cry of completion and reconciliation for our sake. Lord, pray that in this next week we'd come face to face with wonderful truth again and we would trust it with all our heart and we would rejoice that you, you treated Jesus as our sins deserve and through that you've brought us back to you, completely right, completely just, completely holy, completely righteous and fill our hearts with thankfulness, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.